Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on December 25th of 2011 under the headline, Dory Fisherman Rescues Stranded Sailors from a Coast Guard Boat. Here we go. If you had to ride out a major storm at sea off the Oregon coast, what vessel would you choose? Here are your choices. An 1,185-ton steam schooner, a 36-foot U.S. Coast Guard motor lifeboat, or an 18-foot fishing dory. Easy question, right? But not for the 24 sailors and officers aboard the 1,185-ton steam schooner Willapah, whose lives were saved two by two by a fishing dory in skilled hands one stormy morning in 1941 off Port Orford. Here's what happened. In 1941, the Willapaw was the last of a dying breed. The wooden steam schooners that had been the mainstay of West Coast lumber shipping since about 1890. These were small, maneuverable steamships ranging from 90 to 200 feet or so in length. They had to be tiny to fit into the dog-hole ports that they worked out of, especially in the northern California coast, but that left them unusually vulnerable when nasty weather came along. Of the several hundred of these that were built, the overwhelming majority ended up on rocks or beach, or simply pounded apart by enormous seas while wallowing along with tons of lumber piled on their decks. And that third thing is exactly what was happening to the Willapaw on the black, stormy night of December 1st, 1941. Actually, it was probably the very early morning of December 2nd, but you get the idea. The Willapaw was getting to be an old vessel, which may have contributed to her breakup. She was built at Cruisen Banks in North Bend during World War I. Now, on the eve of World War II, her career was over. The persistent pounding of the waves finally started opening up seams, and the water started pouring in. Captain Oscar Peterson ordered distress flares fired off. The dying ship lit up the skies with rockets, one after another, until the lot of them was gone and the ship was left in inky, stormy blackness. Luckily, the Coast Guard lookout saw the show and scrambled the rescue crews into one of the service's legendary 36-foot motor lifeboats. Out to sea, they went to see what they could do. But by this time, the Willapaw was out of flares, and the lifeboat crew could find nothing on the mountainous seas. Surely at some point the rescuers must have given the ship up for lost, but they kept searching until morning came. In the light of dawn, the lifeboat crew found the stricken Willapaw and got there just in time. Now well and truly dead, the Willapaw was fully awash, boilers out, getting ready to roll over. Being made of wood, she wasn't going to sink, but she wouldn't be of any use at all for life preservation floating upside down in 30-foot seas and covered with barnacles. Moreover, in the 50-degree waters off the Oregon coast, it's the cold that does the real killing. These men had to be taken off that ship immediately. So into and onto the 36-footer piled all 24 crew members. By the time the last one was rescued, the ship was on its side, almost all the way under. 
Theoretically, the thing to do would have been to take 12 men at a time, but had they done that, the other 12 would not have been alive when the lifeboat returned for them. So crammed with men like a can of sardines, the motor lifeboat worked its way toward the shore. In the giant offshore swells, it was still good and seaworthy, though overloaded, but the life-saving crew knew that when they got to the breakers near the shore, it would be over in a few seconds. There just wasn't enough freeboard to get the overloaded boat through them and safely to land. There surely were other problems with the boat as well, although the sources don't say so. On paper, a 36-foot motor lifeboat should have been more than capable of taking 24 men to shore. But for whatever reason, on this particular day, this particular MLB was not. Enter the fisherman. His name was James Combs. He had a fishing dory, the type famously used by fishermen at Cape Kiwanda, and he knew how to use it. According to James Gibbs, he handled it like a rowboat in a mill pond. Out through the surf he went, rowing the 800 yards past the breakers to the wallowing lifeboat just beyond. There he took on two passengers and rowed back, and he did it again, and again, and again. Eventually, Combs had enough of the surplus crew members off the motor lifeboat that the rescue vessel could safely bring the rest into shore. And yes, every single one of them made it. There were no casualties in this wreck. As for the Willapaw, it broke up in just a few hours, and a couple days later started washing up on shore as driftwood. So, what's your call? The steam schooner, the motor lifeboat, or the dory? Of course, if the steam schooner hadn't been old and tender and probably waterlogged, it would have surely been just fine. And if the motor lifeboat hadn't been packed with so many castaways that it was barely seaworthy, it would have been a fine choice. For most of us, the only choice, the best choice by far. But if it came with an experienced Oregon Coast dory fisherman like James Combs at the oars, you just might be better off in a little open fishing boat. Key sources in this story included works by James Gibbs Jr., Gordon Newell, and Don Marshall. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.